Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And it is never a dull moment in Magic, is it? This week, I I am exhausted, Gerald. I need a nap. I need, like, a nice soothing cup of tea. So, so many things going on. It's pretty overwhelming, quite frankly. But exciting at the same time. I don't want to sound like I'm not into it. I'm, I'm definitely into everything happening. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about it a bit more. Yeah, I'm into it too. So this weekend we have the Arena PTQ. I'm just going to call it a PTQ. I don't care. Sure. And we just had a BNR announcement. Feel the Dead is no longer with us. And I mean, there's there's going to be like 3,000, 4,000 people in this tournament probably. And some amount of them are definitely going to be wondering what we tell them to play and I don't have a good answer for them because of the pioneer announcement. So I'm going to blame it on that. My time has mostly been spent with running the brand new Twitter account at pioneer DLS for all of your pioneer deckless needs. And I've been brewing decks myself and had to switch gears and change what I was going to write about this week and everything. So I haven't been spending too much time on standard, unfortunately. Well, look, even if you wanted to devote all of your time to standard, Presently, Arena still has Field of the Dead legal. So it was my intention to just be like, okay, let me hash this out. I'll figure out exactly what I should be recommending for people to play. And let's get in the Arena queues. And so I played a bunch of decks that I think have promise in a post-Field world. And that is to say, they were pretty hard and validated by Field of the Dead. And then I just got paired against Field of the Dead constantly. And I'm like, okay, this is telling me absolutely nothing. I know these decks are bad against Field of the Dead. So I kind of didn't get to the exact solution I was hoping for. I do have some thoughts, some insight, but you're right. This has been a very, very challenging tournament to prepare for, even if you do have the time to devote to it. And with all the frontier stuff going on, you may not even have the time to start with. So tough times this weekend. Yeah. Last couple of days while I was uh, writing my article, putting together some deck lists and everything, I was watching streams in the background and last night, specifically watching Andre Strosky's stream, and he's he's at like the top of the ladder. He was playing in top 100, you know, and trying a bunch of non-Golos decks, obviously, like he has the PTQ this weekend also. And he needs the invite really badly because it will maybe determine whether or not he actually gets into the Rivals League, you know. So he's, he's right. trying pretty hard. And he would just get paired like against someone who plays a Field of the Dead in, in turn one, and he just concedes, you know. Yep. Like that, that was basically just what a lot of the streamers were doing. So it is very unfortunate to see those people, those grinders who are working very hard to try and, you know, get more knowledge and understanding of the format. And for some reason, Arena is not cooperating. I don't know why they just didn't ban that card in with the announcement, but hey. I don't either. It, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like there's no, even if you say your lead time is like fairly long, which it shouldn't be like account for that in your architecture, can't you just like tell the arena team in advance that this is what's happening? I'm assuming they didn't make this decision Sunday night. At least I hope they didn't. Like they moved up the BNR announcement for a very good reason. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about the specifics of it. It just is baffling to me that you can't play actual standard. And even this week's MPL split was played with Field of the Dead legal. Yeah. Yeah. So. That was mentioned. That was mentioned at some point too. And I kind of get that if their deck lists are due on Sunday. And the right. BNR announcement is Monday, but okay. I, I don't know, man. They they could just be like, look, we're going to move Decklist to, you know, Monday night to give you a day to submit something. And 
maybe that kind of like tips their hat a little bit, but they already did that by moving up the BNR. Everyone expected this. Yes. Yes. All of this has gone not quite swimmingly, but ultimately it doesn't matter how the steps led up to this point. There is still this very meaningful tournament going on in just a couple of days and people without a lot of time to prepare for it. So I, th- I think we have two things we really have to do today. We have to give a little bit of advice, even if we're coaching it a little bit and saying, look, we haven't had the time to devote to this and I'm not going to make a hard sell on my particular choice for this tournament, but I do have an opinion. And then we need to talk about Frontier because it feels like that's all anyone can talk about right now. Yep. So I would start with Simic. Duh. It is the best deck. Everyone knows it's the best deck. What we don't know is exactly how people are going to approach the format with that knowledge because there are going to be a certain amount of people that play Simic. There are going to be a certain amount of people that hard target it. And then for this PTQ, I kind of made made this call the, the last time, uh, the last PTQ I played in. And this one I didn't end up qualifying for just because I forgot basically. But for the last one, I was like, you know what? I think the format is just going to be more random nonsense than we think it is because a lot of these players are coming from limited. A lot of them qualified like three months ago, two months ago, whenever uh, the last actual qualifying month happened, you know? So I, I think people don't necessarily play the top tier. Think about any random Grand Prix that you go to, you know, it's mm-hmm. like even when like Marty vehicles is the best deck or team or energy or mono red, whatever, not everyone is cognizant of that or not everyone seems to be playing by the same rules and you have to account for everyone, especially in a tournament like this where you're just kind of playing eight, nine, 10 rounds of Swiss. Totally agree with you. And I think the correct thing is to grab a strong Simic matchup. You don't want to deck that folds to it because there is going to be an above average amount of Simic, especially I think as you get deeper into the tournament, you should certainly be contemplative of the winner's metagame as well. So you want a strong Simic matchup, but you also just need to have something that is generally powerful and just just hard targeting Simic is not going to get the job done. I guess why don't we go to step one for the people who are interested in playing Simic? Do you have any thoughts on how that deck should be built presently? I tend to err on the side of Simic and not Bant. And I know that 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 is going to be a big question because a lot of the decks that did well in the last MC were Bant, but I think Bant had a lot of success because of Golos. And once you add Deputy of Detention into the mix, it helps your matchup there. But Deputy is not a card that you're super excited about in the mirror matches, especially once people are just playing all four Wicked Wolves. Right. Yeah, I I think most of the adaptation we saw from the early Simic lists, uh, the addition of Deputy of Detention, even the addition of four main deck Disdainful Stroke, that was to account for Golos. And those were actually shackles. And getting away from that requirement of having to play those cards lets you focus more on your own game plan on staying this weird tempo-y kind of super powerful deck. Uh, So I really like the return of Brazen Borrower to the deck. And I also like Vivian in the deck. I think these are just good ways to ensure your strategy is proactive and punishing people who miss a land drop is a nice, nice place to be in the very early parts of this tournament. As you get into the later rounds, you'll expect to see more consistency. I think that's another thing too, is like once upon a time in your deck, do it. 
This is a long tournament. You want to be able to just make sure you're casting your spells reliably. I like four once upon a time in my Simic list right now. So that is my starting point for Simic. I'm lower on Questing Beast. Those numbers have come down. Still four Wicked Wolf, some number of Brazen Borrower, probably four once upon a time. I might still play a couple Grazers just because I think turn two Oko is so important in so many matchups. And once you have the four once upon a time, I'm pretty into just having those Grazers floating around, even if they don't necessarily gel with that kind of proactive approach I'm talking about. But that is something certainly I would get some games in and understand exactly how Grazer fills that need. But just hitting your one drop accelerant on your turn one once upon a time is such a huge edge in so many matchups. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I haven't actually tried Grazer in normal Simic, but I, I do think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, like the old Simic list that we were playing had 12 mana creatures up to right. Leafkin Druid. Right. And I don't think like Leafkin Druid. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to just cut those, play for once upon a time, two Grazer, probably 25 land, and just work from there. Sounds like we feel pretty similarly about Simic right now. And I, I think this deck will be a strong choice, totally reasonable. And I respect anyone who chooses to bring that. And then you're still going to have your disdainful strokes in the sideboard for any nonsense that might pop up. Like you, of can, you can shift to a fish style plan. Look, this is just a good deck. Simic is straight up a good deck. The card power is absolutely insane. And it's going to be around for all of standard. And I I think it's the type of deck where you're never going to get hard punished by playing it. It gives you a lot of room to leverage skill. It gives you a lot of room to sideboard creatively and think carefully about your matchups. And that's always going to be dangerous in the hands of a strong player. Yeah, agreed. So one thing that I will also note is you, you mentioned being lower on Questing Beast. I agree with you. That was another card that was basically there specifically for Golos. And now that that matchup is not a concern, and especially like there, there aren't even a lot of decks where they're, they're trying to play like this long game, which kind of pigeonholes you into being the aggressor. So I do think that you can do things like the old Simic decks, just play four Hydroid Crisis and have this, this longer game and have that be effective against basically every deck in the format. I don't think you need to do things like what Chris Kavartek did at MC5 and just like cut them entirely. Agree. I still had four crisis in my deck. Yep. And without Questing Beasts, I am less high on Vivian. I do agree that it's just a very powerful card though. So if you end up having space and, you know, you, you want like an extra four drop or two, I totally support a couple copies of that card. And then for the sideboard, I would say Veil, Gust, Stroke is a pretty good place to start. Yep. And then you can also just look at filling out your the rest of your sideboard with things like Voracious Hydra. Yeah, we we were basically spot on in our approach. I have two copies of Vivian right now. I agree that it loses some of its luster without Questing Beast, but just a soundly powerful card. Don't play Wish Targets for Vivian, not necessary. Don't fool yourself into giving up those sideboard slots. Uh, if you have a creature you happen to be playing in your sideboard, that's fine. Don't go far afield, though, in trying to maximize that card. Yeah, you don't need like the end raise forerunners or anything like that. Right. There might be some games where you wish for a voracious Hydra because that's slightly better than just minus three. But realistically, when you untap with Vivian at five, you are almost certainly just fine using the plus one or minus three on it and don't necessarily want to use the minus five because it's just mm -hmm. worse than the other abilities. So, yeah, don't go super hard on that. Totally agree. And then for decks that we think are good against Simic, I think Rakdos Knights is pretty good. 
You can play full-on Mardu if you want. I think for the most part, you can get everything you need in Rakdos and don't necessarily need to introduce the extra mana inconsistency to it, but either okay. either way is fine. And then Emma Handy's Rakdos Sacrifice deck, I think, is also a pretty good choice if you're trying to farm Simic, but that's one of those decks where your, your card quality is a little bit weaker, so you could run into things just like Grix's Control and various Fires decks where maybe you just get overpowered. Yeah, I haven't been completely thrilled with the sacrifice and mine looked very different from emma's so this isn't an indictment on emma's deck i just don't have reps with that deck to give an informed opinion on that but when i was playing like mono black sacrifice setups i was not necessarily shining against the simic decks it feels like they have tools to deal with anything you might want to do in most instances i mean even if i believe it to be slightly favored in the sacrifice decks direction it, it's not far i don't see it as a deck that farms simic but i know emma had a ton of success against simic in the ptq that we all played this past weekend yeah and i, I think her deck between mayhem devil claim the firstborn as just the red claim splash the firstborn is big yeah yeah like both of those cards are super huge against simic she also had 12 one drops and was trying to just be an aggressive deck first and a synergy deck second which i think you need to do and then had four rankles at the top end, which I also think are very good. Right. Yeah, definitely some innovation going on with her list. So don't sleep on that. Definitely worth a look. The other deck, and this is the deck that I got in the queues with because I really wanted to know what was going on in a post-Golos world. It was Esper Dance. And I, I think this deck is just strong. I think it has remained a very, very strong way of punishing the nonsense. And you mentioned anything could show up in this MCQ. I think Esper Dance does such a good job in invalidating so many things by having a combo kill, by Doom Foretold being this thing that's almost impossible for so many decks to play around. And I don't know that the Simic decks are going to go as far as accounting for this deck with something like Tamiyo. They're and not. even if they do, even if they do, it doesn't matter that much. Like one of the things about Esper Dance when I played it in week one, that was at a point where you and I were both super low on the color hating cards. So I played with zero copies of Noxious Grasp. Now I have two in my main deck, two in my sideboard. And I yeah. think this matchup has swung pretty far in favor of Esper. So if I'm looking to beat up specifically Simic and still remain proactive, isn't quite the right word for what Esper Dance does, but it does assert itself on your opponent. It's got the disruption elements of thought erasure doom foretold is a nightmare card to play around and then it has a combo kill that you can set up and with teferi you can do that at instant speed giving you leverage to play around absolutely everything if given enough time so i am still a believer in esper dance i think this is a good weekend that it can make a comeback if it becomes the focal point of the format again there's tons of adjustments you can make to it and i don't see it being a deck that sits atop the format for very long but it's kind of one of those, oh, you forgot about this deck type situations, kind of like Dredge, where Dredge will pop up and dominate a tournament. I think people have mostly forgotten about Esper Dance, and I could see a big weekend in the PTQ. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I do think that the way that we're, we're even talking about building Simic, where it's like, oh, we think this is the best way to go about things. I think that that sort of deck is very weak to dance. And there aren't a lot of decks where you want disdainful stroke right now, you know, like there dance is a thing that might be on some people's radar. Maybe there's like team of reclamation, there's fires, which I do think is going to be somewhat prevalent, 
Mm-hmm. So like there are there are some reasons to main deck disdainful stroke. It's like passable in mirrors, it catches Embercleave, you know, but like I don't I don't think a lot of people are gonna be doing it. I think they're just gonna revert to like Brad's deck list basically from week one. Mostly agree. Brazen Borrower is a strong card against the Esper decks. Getting your Doom Foretold just completely time walked feels really bad. But you can you can usually play around it effectively. You have so many good options against them. You have such good knowledge via Thought Erasure. I, I just haven't felt overwhelmed ever in that matchup. And even when they went to stuff like Tamiyo, especially now that you have four Noxious Graphs, you can account for that. So hard sell on Esper Dance for this weekend. I am curious how many folks will pick that up. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So your your new list compared to your old list is probably Grasp instead of the two Legion's Ends? Yes, I'm off Legion's End. The The other card that I want to consider is your card to deal with Wicked Wolf. What's the name of it again? I always forget about the name. The Epic Downfall. Epic Downfall. I think you consider some copies of that in the sideboard, but you have counterplay to Wicked Wolf. Like You will find ways to kill it via your Doom Foretolds. Right. And you have the fourth copy of Doom Foretold, I would assume? Yes. Okay. And then what, what's different in the sideboard? Because obviously you're not uh, playing Disenchant. You actually have Noxious Grasp. Are, what is your, uh, like, do you have a non-dance win condition in your board? I have a Liliana. Okay. Which, does that matter? I, I honestly don't know. I don't know if I'm ever going to turn to that Liliana. But I, I do think including just a, a little flexibility in the way you're going to win the game is totally fine. And I have been pretty impressed with Liliana in a few spots recently. So I'm fine with playing a copy of that card in the sideboard. But that's about it as far as alternate win conditions go. I've got a copy of Planner Cleansing as well as one in the main. And I brought back Wishclaw Talisman, which was a card I was pretty low on. Eh. But I, I think you can do a lot with it. And I was almost at the point where I wanted to consider multiple Planner Cleansings. But I would rather have one cleansing one Wishclaw Talisman before I go down that road. As far as other sideboard slots, I think D-Spark is quite strong right now, yep. particularly with what Esper Dance struggles against. So I have three copies of that card, which is a really high number. But when I think about playing against something like Fires or even the green decks, you find very, very juicy D-Spark targets all the time. Yeah, no, I think D-Spark is great. Do you have anything for Knights specifically? Like I know you have Four Kaya's Wrath and Planar Cleansing is okay. Cry of the Carnarium is good against some of their draws but not all if they have like rotting regisaur and a claim contender yeah uh, but- so I've, I've been back and forth on cry and the version that was in my article today does not have cry i think the most recent version i have on arena does actually have a cry over like the disfigure because i don't think really having the one mana spot removal is all that impactful in a lot of situations but devout decree one copy of that in the sideboard i see the list i posted does still have one legion's end so some small ball type stuff that you can leverage but like you said i think you're pretty well set up for that matchup in general okay so the the deck that andre was streaming last night or like one of the many decks i guess was uh Celestine adventures which is another deck that people claim just basically farm simic yeah and he was liking the deck and he was you know, having like good success with it. So that's another thing that you could potentially consider. Yeah. that In my article, these were basically my three hard sells where Esper Dance, Selesny Adventures as a deck that just hard farms the Simic Food decks. But like you said, I do think that this metagame is going to be a little bit broader than a one deck metagame just due to the external factors, whether it's correct or not to play things beyond Simic Food. Many, many people will choose to do so. And Selesny Adventures feels like a hard targeting deck to me. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's it's good. It is a proactive, aggressive strategy. So that's excellent. 
but you're playing a lot of one mana one ones, you know, like yes. if you don't get your engine going or if you play against decks where they have a lot of sweepers, it doesn't seem great for you. So I don't think that that is necessarily the best approach to try and winning the arena PTQ this weekend. Yeah, that deck getting some traction was a another reason why I got very interested in Cry of the Carnarium. But like I said, four Noxious Grasps in our deck now. We will deal with those innkeepers. I'm not super concerned about them snowballing an advantage. And that's pretty easy to just Wrath, Oath of Kaya, control whatever they're up to on their side of the battlefield. Yeah, no, Dance, dance sounds really good to me. I... I would recommend the thing that I told you a while ago, which is just like cut a godless shrine for a swamp to make your mana a little less painful. Okay. But other than that, like you have the wish claw on your main deck. I would prefer that to be literally any other card, either a downfall or a murderous rider. And then maybe I would do some different stuff in the sideboard, but I really like the the list that you posted. Yeah, I do too. I can safely say this is a at least decent choice. I wish I had more games where I could just say, yes, slam this 100%. It's the correct deck to play. I just don't have enough reps in, though. I wouldn't be comfortable saying that. But I, if, you got, if you have some time between now and the weekend, I do advise you to at least take a look at this list. Well, the, the B&R stuff gets updated on Thursday on Arena. Okay. Is that true? That was a question. I, I think that's right, because that's when the Brawl update rolls out which i have right. been closely watching for i expect the bnr update to come at the same time okay well let's let's shift gears man let's let's talk about brawl okay what do you have to say about brawl gerald uh i think that we're gonna be battling some brawl is that we accurate are gonna be battling we are gonna be battling some brawl and we haven't come up with a name for it yet should we come up with a name right now live on the air for what we're doing arena brawl stuff so so that's a no is what you're saying that is not I'm something not we should do presently give me three options i'll tell you which one is the best okay we'll we'll do this off air there's no way we just nail it on the first shot yeah we're gonna do basically a brawl draft you and i have picked out 20 brawl commanders that we think are cool fun commanders to build decks around we're gonna right after we record this episode actually we're gonna record a draft of those commanders we're gonna have two teams of 10 commanders and it's single elimination. You lose once with your commander. That commander's out of the contest. They're dead. They're they're like Gideon, man. Yep. And whichever one of us has the last commander standing will be declared the victor of the first ever arena deck list, Brawl for All. I just called it the Brawl Ooh. for All. Does that work? It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but yeah, sure. No, I stole it from the WWE. Years ago, uh. they had like weird boxing match type thing that they called the Brawl for All but I really like that name and I kind of want to steal it and use it for our thing. Dude, that's fine. Okay. So it's the first ever arena deckless brawl for all. And we can come up with some stakes too. I think there's, there's fun things we can maybe do there. Maybe the loser has to donate to the winner's choice of charity, or we could do something where like the winner gets control of the loser's deckless choice for a little while. I don't know. A lot of fun stuff we could look into. Yeah, I could see that. Nor like we used to do this stuff on, on versus, for Star City, and I, I didn't really like it, but donating to charity or like I pick the deck list that you play in a tournament, or vice versa, like those those sound good to me. Okay, that's what we'll look into then, and that should be going up on our YouTube page. I mean, probably by the time you're hearing this, I would like to get this up on Thursday yeah. because I leave for SCG Atlanta on Friday. So you might already have watched Brawl 
by the time you're listening to this. And it's cool. I'm looking forward to playing this more casual format with a little bit of our spiky slant to it, where we're certainly going to be trying to beat each other. Uh, I think it'll be fun though. And we are going to present the games, I think in a cool fashion, we'll have both of our hands available. We'll both be on screen at the same time. We'll have our comms open. So you hear us interacting with each other. I think it's going to be a really cool little piece of content. Yeah. We're, we're going to try at least Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll we'll see if we can pull all this together. The thing that I kind of don't like about this and obviously we can fix this is like, say I have a, a commander or you have a commander that just like beats all of the other ones. And then it's like, there are eight things that we don't get a chance to actually play games with, you know? That is true. I am hoping that it just works out that it ends up evenly matched. And we could also do rules where like, you can't keep you can't pick the same commander twice in a row. So if you win, you have to change and use a different commander. That's really okay. cool, right? Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. All right. That should get us a good amount of rotation. And we should see at least a bunch of the commanders. Yeah. But before like, e- they're- even if this does happen where one of them just, you know, goes undefeated or say like a, a person goes 10 and five or whatever. And then there's like five left over. We can just play games for fun with like the remaining decks. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. Excellent. Okay. So all of this arena nonsense is out of the way. Now we can get to that hot, hot Magic Online action. How is this a real thing that we're going back to Magic Online? Gerald, I never thought I would go back to Magic Online. I thought that was it. I thought I was done. But I put out a request for my rental account yesterday. Card hoarder, if you're listening, get back to me. I would like that ASAP. (laughs) We'll use a little clout here, cash in a little clout to try and get Dude, a, a they're, quick approval. They're all having problems. As much as I love these, you know, deck lending services, mm-hmm. they all they all have the same problem, like around a set release where it's like there's this hot card and they don't seem to be able to keep enough copies of it in stock. And I just see post after post on social media of like people waiting just well, to get their Okos or whatever. Yeah, look, I'll be frank with you. I just need something that covers most of my bases. And if I have to just like buy Okos and then I have them always and everything else I can rent, yeah, that works for me. So granted, I would be spending a little extra money. I'm cool with that though. I just need a good foundation that lets me shift around a bunch. And if it means I have to buy a bunch of the money cards and I sell out a bunch of the old stuff that I'm currently holding because I could just rent it back at some point, yeah, that works for me. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a way to put it together I did not expect this is a road I would be going down when I sold out of Magic Online years ago. But I will say, much like in real life where I never sold any of my rares, the last time I sold out of Magic Online was about the time before Battle for Innistrad. So I have mostly everything past Battle for Innistrad up until Arena came out and I stopped playing Magic Online. So I have kind of like the middle portion of the Pioneer format, which should also be able to form the foundation of a bunch of my decks. Yeah, I actually, I went through a lot of my cards and I I just have most of the stuff in paper still, which is great. Same. And yeah, now I'm just waiting for like Mox Boarding House to start running events locally because I would, I would hit that up for sure. I should actually see if they're doing a thing this Thursday. I am sure they will start very, very soon. Can like IRL places do events yet? I don't know. Live Googling, the, the best part of any podcast when yeah. hosts hop onto the internet and do some searching. Bellevue, events. I mean, I, I should just like go 
to their Twitter or something. But yeah, the, the calendar is not updated. I don't see Pioneer anywhere or Frontier or any of the other names that people are calling it. Right. Anything I might mistakenly call it in the heat of the moment. I'm sure they're coming because people are hyped about this format, Gerald. And our plan for this episode was to talk PTQ. We just wanted to get people ready for this PTQ. And we recognize it's not everyone who's playing the PTQ, but a large percentage of our audience is. And also we lean towards standard for the most part. We are the arena deckless podcast, but if we didn't talk about pioneer this week, it would be malpractice. Like that is what people want to know about. It's what they want to hear about. It's all anyone is talking about. You mentioned the pioneer deckless account that is blowing up right now, with just loads and loads of deckless. And I know it's all you've been doing too. All you can think about is how you're going to break this format in half and make no mistake about it. This format will be broken in half. Oh yeah. Bands will be coming. And honestly, the, my, my first impression of the format and the deck list that people are submitting, the things that people want to be playing and stuff, like it does look relatively fair outside of uh, a few, you know, specific cases, obviously. Well, okay. I think what people want to be playing and what people will actually be playing are probably two very different things. Because this right. metagame is going to get immediately sorted out by an MCQ this weekend, right? The Magic Online MCQ is this weekend. Oh, uh, maybe I'll play in that. I'm pretty sure it happens very, very soon, which is incredible, but a great way to kick off the format. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll have to actually figure out my schedule again, because now there's just this whole new format that, you know, I wasn't planning on going to any Grand Prix or whatever, but now I might. And I've been talking to some of my friends who were maybe like in a lull magic wise, or at least like a GP lull. And now they're like, all right, let's do this. You know, like why do you think this is speaking to people so much? Because the reaction is really overwhelming. Because I think that this time frame actually does accomplish what they initially wanted modern to do, which is you get to use your old standard cards. Okay. I mean, but it's not that it's not as simple as utility. Like it's not just like, oh, I feel good. I get to use these cards I haven't used in a while. It has to do with emotional resonance. And I think also this time frame, it captures a period of dramatic, dramatic growth for Magic the Gathering. And so, so many people started in this time frame. So your first memories of Magic will always be your fondest. And it's why people like me, old people basically are drawn to things like vintage, like old school, because right. it reminds them of when they started playing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like the older formats, like Legacy and even Extended and stuff like that, like those evoke nostalgic feelings for me that are stronger than playing with Jace Friends Prodigy. But mm -hmm. I can only imagine, like, if I had started playing Magic in that era, I, I would just want to play Jace in everything, right? Right. And now I get to. So this this is fun for me. I, I do enjoy building decks in this format because you're looking back, what is it, five years, six years? I think it's longer than that. I don't know. Time is messed up for me now. My life has changed so dramatically over the last 10 years that it all feels like this incredible blur. And I can't pick out one year from the next. Uh, well, 29 sets, four per year. I'm, I'm not doing math. I'm a lawyer, Jerry. I don't do that kind of stuff. A little it's, over seven is your answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it doesn't evoke the same nostalgia for me, but like seven years is such a long time that I imagine a lot of people are actually getting caught up in that. And mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense to me. It also happens in a way 
that modern isn't able to capitalize on because yes, modern has the cards that maybe you got introduced to magic with, but it doesn't have a lot of the same archetypes, right? Like modern is very much its own animal, but you look at all the decks that people are building and it's like, yeah, these are just decks that were played in standard with some additions, with some changes, some upgrades. Yeah, I'm going to say something right now that I didn't think I would have been saying if you go back a year ago. I never thought I would say this. I hate Modern Horizons and I hate what it's done to Modern. And it I mean, it obliterates exactly this thing. Not that it wasn't already headed down that path, but any semblance of this is like what we used to do. It's just thrown completely out the window at this point. And I hope that never comes to pass with something like Pioneer where we start designing cards for this format specifically as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be fine if you introduce something like Lightning Bolt or Path to Exile. Sure, sure. But yeah, just creating brand new cards in a side set just to fill some role is is kind of weird, and it does take the nostalgia out of it, absolutely. Yeah, and I also think you could have Lightning Bolt in Standard right now, and it wouldn't be out of line. So that tells you how I feel about that kind of card. Things like Answers are usually pretty safe to add, and maybe that'll be something they prioritize as they develop this format a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's weird because you see a lot of the things getting developed uh, in standard and for a while it was like pointed at best of one because that, that's what the direction they thought they were going to go in was. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear that... No one cares about best of one. Well, that, and that has changed. You know, I, I don't think yes. that Watsy cares really anymore. But you don't see like recent prints in standard where it's like, oh, this was for Pioneer. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty clear that this was not on their radar. This was not a thing that they were developing for. And that will likely change. I think so. I think that makes perfect sense. You should certainly design towards your products. I don't know what the differences look like when you're designing for Pioneer versus designing for Standard. But we kind of have to have a metagame before we can even speculate about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and bands and stuff like that. But like even, you know, looking looking through the card pool and it's like, OK, Black has Thoughtsy's Fatal Push. So they, they have great one mana interaction. And then if you're talking about splashes, it's like Decay, Assassin's Trophy, Kolagon's Command, Dreadbore, stuff like that. And then you look at white and it's like Declaration in Stone, Seal right. Away. like. Right. And you can say the same about red, I think, as well. Yeah, I mean, Red's got a bunch of burn spells, which is kind of what they want to do. And then you have uh, things like Roast and Lava Coil. So, like, if you're if you're building, like, a Jace or Thing in the Ice deck, I mean, you have Fiery Impulse and you have Roast, right? So, like, you kind of... And Lightning Axe, too. So, you kind of have your bases covered as far as, like, a controlling Red deck. And then for uh, aggressive Red decks, you have Eight Shocks, you know, Lightning Strikes, Gear of the Critics, Wizards Lightning, etc. So, I think they're okay, too. Well, but you look at the difference between the power level of a card like Fatal Push and then you have Lightning Strike. Like one of these is just the de facto best option in the color across all time. And one is very, very far down the overall power list. And I think some of that has to be balanced out a little bit as the format evolves. No, that's true. That is definitely true. I, I was mainly looking at it like, do I have enough things to fill out a red deck? The answer is yes. Yes. For white, the answer is probably no, and that's definitely a problem. But yeah, also if you're comparing like power level, fatal push to anything else that exists in the other colors is just completely out of whack, right? Yeah, no, I agree. But yeah, I mean, you, you can look at printing things like maybe Path to Exile in standard so that it is then legal in Pioneer without disrupting modern, which is like 
not a thing that they would do normally. I don't think, I don't think they would put a thing in standard that has already existed in modern because it doesn't necessarily solve any problems unless you specifically wanted it in standard. Right. But now that might just happen. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, a whole new world. Everything is back on the table and it'll be very interesting to see the approach, especially if this format just proves to be a home run as it feels like it's going to be right now. Like- it seems like it's going to be. I, I feel like we are not alone in that we have a lot of our old cards or like, you know, you have some old deck that you really liked or like White Darby was talking about how the BNR list for Hour of Devastation went up and they didn't ban or maybe it wasn't Hours, Amaket, where they didn't ban Felidar Guardian and then they just ended up banning it three days ago. And in that three day window, he ordered Sahili's. <laughs> never, never played. Sad yeah. Sahili's. No, literally never played. He said they have just sat there for forever. And it's like, oh, I have these. I can use these now. And I think a lot of people got caught by that, right? So it's like a lot of people are just going to have these random cards sitting around that they weren't able to sell in time. So Yeah, I will point out this is a short-term solution, right? At some point, the format will do exactly the same thing that Modern did. And not all these cards will get entrance into this format because it'll get too large, which is weird. Like, not sure why this can't be a rotating format but it is what it is. And this is what we have now. And it'll be great for the time being. And we can address that problem down the road. Well, the problem is, is that if you, you start modern and you're say, you say that you're going to rotate in eight years, it just has kind of the same problems that old extended did where it. I liked old extended. I mean, I I know that it had problems. I know no one invested in it, but I loved it. We're privileged. We are. We are. I totally agree. We were, we were able to pick up decks on a whim or just borrow them or whatever. And it, yep. it didn't really phase us, you know, but for you announce modern and it has longevity because people are like, okay, I'm going to, you know, buy into scalding tarn. I'm just going to have these for forever. Correct. And that doesn't happen if people are like, oh, it's rotating in eight years, even though it seems like eight years is a long time. And what about it, the argument of like this doing something like this? It has to eat into some of modern's luster right yeah. like some of some of the appeal of that format is taken away by the existence of this format right so you now you could, you could not announce pioneer like while modern masters had just come out or modern right. horizons you know right because right. yeah obviously it just removes some of the excitement for stuff like that and there's only enough tournament bandwidth to handle an amount of formats so yes. when you add another like year-round basically non-rotating format into the mix. Yeah. It just means there's going to be probably fewer standard tournaments, fewer limited tournaments, fewer modern tournaments. Yeah. And I mean, why do you think legacy isn't played as much anymore because of modern and what do you think is going to happen to modern? I mean, these things are, they're not mysteries. It's pretty clear. Things will proceed in this fashion. So you talk about like these cards continuing to hold value and being able to buy in safely to modern. I buy that. I don't know that it's going to have the same type of emotional resonance that something like Legacy has had throughout the years where these dual lands just continue to get more expensive because of their scarcity as well. Like, let's not forget a lot of these cards just have actual scarcity as opposed to manufactured scarcity. So long-term effects on modern, very interesting. And I don't want to forecast any doom and gloom. That's not my intention. But I do think there's a lot to unpack there. And I'm curious how things are going to go. Modern is too popular for them to want to try and kill it. I, I don't think they I don't think they want to try and kill it. I'm right. not even coming close to suggesting that, but your actions have consequences. 
intended or not, is all I'm saying. Yeah, Pioneer is definitely going to cut into the excitement and the amount that people want to play modern and the amount that modern is relevant and all of that, for sure. Mm -hmm. That is just going to be a byproduct whenever you introduce some sort of like in-between format. And I think that it is likely better for them to for Watsi to shift to a model that more resembles pioneer than modern, at least for like the long term. But I, I agree with you that like eight years from now, we're going to have the same problem. So what do? Yeah. What, I just want to ask you to clarify, what do you mean by a, a model that resembles pioneer more closely? Because it's the same model, right? It's the exact same thing. It's just moved forward in time eight years. Okay. So like I said before, Modern was supposed to be the place where people got to play their old standard cards. That did not work out because it went too far back and the format was busted a lot of mm-hmm. the time. And mm-hmm. now we're in a place where you go back seven years and it's like you, you actually get to play things like Mardu vehicles and any sort of like mono red burn deck, Eldrazi, Dredge. How uh, sure are you about this? How sure you can very, actually do this? Very. Okay. Because a lot of these cards are synergy based too, right? It's like right. you can't you can't put Toolcraft Exemplar in everything. You might be able to put Smuggler's Copter in everything, but even the amount of like cheap creatures that are very good is kind of on the low end, you know? So it's like you do want to look for things that just ended up being in the same deck around that same time frame because they're they're the shell that works best together. Right. I guess too, the other thing that really factors into this paradise coming to fruition is an open statement that bands are forthcoming and will be aggressive and can happen at any time, which is not something that was ever pre-stated with modern. And you kind of get why, like the incredible investment in something like fetch lands made it. So you really didn't want to be invalidating cards left and right. You really wanted to preserve people's collection. I mean, maybe this points to a, a flaw with the fundamental approach to modern. Maybe modern should have had the same caveat when it started. And it didn't. You can't go back in time. So really, who cares if this is right or not anyway? I'm just excited that this is the rules of engagement for this new format. We are willing to be aggressive with bands. And I think that'll allow them to shape things in a way that hopefully we do get to that point where it's just a bunch of old standard decks that we can all play again. Well, I think they learned their lesson both from modern... Sure not actually being a place where you play your old standard cards and standard decks. I mean, the first pro tour had right of flame and blazing shoal and just like all these absurd cards. Right. So clearly you're not going to play Toolcraft exemplar in that format. Right. Yeah. Just like as, as the format went on too, it was very clearly not serving that purpose. And I I think that they announced immediately that it's like, yo, this is something that we're going to be, pushing a bunch. So people wanted to like buy in. And at that point they didn't want to be like, okay, well, we're just going to aggressively ban the crap out of all your stuff. That is kind of what ended up happening over the years. Right. But for this, it's like the cards have crept up in value a little bit, but like they're not at their peak when GPs start happening for this format. Like the cards are going to be much more expensive, but I think people are a little wary to buy in now because of what their announcement was like. And I think that's an actively good thing. It is. It is. And props for a lesson learned. I think you're exactly right. This is just something that's hard to foresee when you're launching a new format. And now with a little experience in their belt, I think they identified the correct way to go about things. Yeah. And people are just going nuts with this format. Mm-hmm. Everyone, like every mm-hmm. single person, like whether it was like watching streamers and it's like, yo, have you thought about this? And they're like, yeah, obviously I've thought about this, but like I have this PTQ this weekend that I have to prepare for or 
in Zan's case, it was I have SCG Atlanta and like the points matter to me, you know. Yeah. But yeah, just the the amount of Twitter presence and people launching podcasts and uh, like websites popping up and stuff like, yeah, people are about this. Yeah, I know Todd's been killing it with his stream recently, just streaming this format and people are showing up for it. They want to watch, like you mentioned, podcasts being launched left and right. Ross Merriam, Tan and Grace doing something. Yeah. What else you have out there in the, the podcast space? I know there's a few of them popping off right now. Yeah. We'll we'll probably retweet some of them from the Twitter account just to Great idea. Yeah, just to raise awareness of the content that is being produced by a bunch of other people. You know, it's not just about us. I do want people to be able to find content on the stuff that they're interested in. So for sure. Yeah, this is this is definitely one of the things where it's like I, I want everyone to be involved in this as much as they possibly can, and I want to help people and provide resources for them. That's kind of been the thing that's been at the forefront of my mind for the last couple of days. Good stuff. Well, I know the other thing at the forefront of your mind, a tier list for this format, and you have put one together. I have been working very hard on other things. You have done more with this format thus far. I am more than happy to take a backseat and just kind of listen a little bit, ask some questions, because you think you have a at least start of a tier list starting to take shape in your head. Yeah, uh, this is obviously very rough because I have seen very few games played and for whatever reason, people are not like, oh, I want to break Kethis and Marvel. Should. That's a nice place to start, I think. Yeah, so I I, I don't even think anyone's really like tweeted a Kethis list at us, like maybe one or two. And Marvel has mostly just been like, well, here is stock team or Marvel with maybe some new cards or whatever. And my my article this week is going to be fire. And you are very high on Marvel right now. And high on Marvel. Uh, will Marvel be the first card banned? Maybe it'll just be Emrakul. I don't know. Uh, but so, something will be banned. And a lot of people have tweeted this too. Like if you're working on a deck and you look at your deck list and you don't think that anything is going to get banned from it, you are doing not it good wrong. Enough. Yep, yeah, not good enough. So, you know, things like... Smuggler's Copter and Aetherworks Marvel, Kethis, uh, Felidar Guardian. What are what are some of the other busted things? Mox Nick- Amber comes to mind. Yeah, Emery. Nykthos. Yep. All these cards are the things that I am most interested in. And unsurprisingly, they take up the top portion of my tier list. So rough tier list, I think, for things that are just probably going to be the best are Kethis, Marvel, and Hardened Scales. And you're going to be like, what do these decks look like? And I can give you a rough idea. I can give you some deck lists, but I don't know. That's a fair answer. I don't think anyone knows what these decks look list, look like right now. I guess give me some broad brushstrokes of Kethis. What is Kethis using to win the game at this point? Do they have Diligent Excavator as a way to mill themselves? Is that still the core of the Kethis plan? I think so. I, th- I think you need that because... It, it just, it goes through your deck so fast, right? Right. And now that you're in Pioneer, you have a much better mana base. You, it's, it's like less painful. You have things like Spire of Industry and whatever. You also don't have to play four mana cards like Tamiyo. You can just play Teferi, Oko, Jace, Friends, Prodigy, stuff like Emery. that. Yeah, Emery's obviously just Busto too. Yep. And then Mox Amber and... 
like you can just deck yourself and kill them with Jace. I think that's fine. Yeah, Jace kill seems totally fine to me. I don't think you need to play something like Oath of Kaya because you're just a fast, resilient combo deck. One of the big pickups for this deck that's probably a little bit under the radar, Hope of Gurapper, I think is how you pronounce it. That's probably wrong, actually. I don't even think you pronounce it that way. That's how I'm going to attempt to pronounce it. Girapur. Sure, Girapur. One mana legendary artifact creature. Pretty big deal for the Kethis deck, even if it doesn't necessarily work all that well with Mox Amber. It is a way to protect your combo yeah. and also just get things going pretty quickly. Yep. No, that's that's completely legit. I mean, this deck is not going to be hurting for legendary permanence, I don't think. Right. Uh, and like I said, the curve gets to be a lot lower and your your card quality on average is very good. You you can also play as many thought seizes and abrupt decays and fatal pushes and stuff as the the format dictates. So you get to play yep. the the best cards in all the colors, you know? Sounds like a good start to me and I think Marvel has a lot of the same things going for it, right? Yeah. So let me let me pull up my article cuz there's there's a history lesson that I had to start with because okay. I think it is very important for people that, to have context because if you look at the Marvel lists that were popular right before it got banned, they were basically like Yuya's list from PT Amonkhet, where yes. it's like you play 23 land, you play Rogue Refiner, but no Servant of the Conduit. Uh, you're kind of like this controlling deck with like Glimmer of Genius and Torrential Gear Hulk and Ulamog is your top end. But uh, the, thi- the way things got to be that way is, uh, so like when, when Marvel came out, PT Kaladesh, People were playing like all-in combo versions, right? They had yes. like eight big creatures, Emrakul and Ulamog. They had contingency plan to try and find Marvel on turn four. And then this happens every single time where you start with a combo deck and people are able to interact with you. And then you have to develop some sort of plan B. And that is what the Marvel decks became. So you fast forward to like the SCG Players Championship that I think Jacob Ball won? Or at least he did very well. Maybe he got second to Joe Lissette or something. But his his li- like he won an invitational too, like the the week before or whatever. But his mm-hmm. list was red green with Servant of the right. Conduit, Ishkana, Emrakul, Chandra, Torch of Defiance, Marvel. Like he was very much a fair green red mid range deck. But he just happened to have Marvel Emrakul in his deck, floating and more and more to the middle as time went on. Yes. So Ulamog was legal. People could do Ulamog stuff, but it wasn't a thing that you could realistically cast. So it was like, well, I can cast Ishkana and I can use Vessel of Nascency to enable hard casting Emrakul and Chandra helps with that and just, you know, making all your land drops, uh, Servant of the Conduit, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, I'm, I'm having a block right now. I don't remember Emrakul being legal at the same time as Aetherworks Marvel. I feel like I always was getting Ulamog. Am I just completely off base? Yes. So... Emrakul was banned in early January of 2017. The PC PC was December of 2016. Okay. And PT Kaladesh earlier that year, the people had Emrakul and Ulamog in their deck. Okay. I'm just misremembering then. That's on me. Okay. So uh, end of January, Aether Revolt came out, which had Rogue Refiner, Fatal Push, Felidar Guardian. So when Felidar Guardian came out, people were effectively just playing that sort of shell instead of Marvel because it kind of just dominated Marvel and was very, very good. So then you remember like GP New Jersey towards the end of that season, it was a two deck format between Marty vehicles and 
Felidar Sahili. Yes, that I remember. And that, for whatever reason, that's where my memories of the format start. And I can't remember anything else besides that. Yeah, so Emrakul was banned. And then uh, people could do Ulamog things, but it wasn't as good as Felidar Sahili. Right. Uh, so then end of April 2017, Amonkhet came out. And yeah, so when right before Amonkhet came out, Felidar was banned. Right. So, so then for PT Amonkhet, people were playing like zombies, Mardu vehicles, and Marvel now with Ulamog right. and the okay. more controlling version. Okay. Now this is starting to make some sense to me. It's starting to piece together. Go ahead. Right. Uh, so then Marvel was basically the best deck until it was banned in June. Yes. Right. So Emrakul never existed with Marvel with Rogue Refiner. Okay. Once you had to do Ulamog things, people stopped playing like Vessel Ishkana because it was just like too small ball, basically. Yep. Yeah. So now we are back in a world where you get to play mid-range Marvel decks because you have Emrakul. You have this thing that is castable. You have Ishkana to actually brick wall people. You get to play red or black for removal spells. And you also have tools in this format that did not exist before. Like you have Oko, you have Emery, you have Jace Fringe Prodigy, you have Dig Through Time, you have Veil of Summer out of the sideboard. These are some magic cards you're talking about right now, Jerry. Like these are some serious magic cards. It is all, all the busted magic cards, right? And they all go in this deck. Right. So yeah, my, my article this week is I think six different Marvel decks with different variations of this stuff. Going hard right off the bat. Love it. Get it banned. Get it out of the format. Right away, be done with it, move on. Oh, I'm going to. And I, I played one game of Pioneer before this podcast because it was all I had time to do. And good God, just Simic Marvel, straight up Simic. You just like gain life, draw cards, uh, use your mana every turn, and you're just presenting like things like Jace and Emery and Marvel, just all these things that they have to deal with. Otherwise, they just snowball out of control and they lose the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, in the meantime, you're just like drawing cards and gaining life. Some of my favorite things to do in Magic. So you've you've already sold me on this. Yeah, man, it's busted. It is straight up busted. I like people. People can try and interact with you, but you're doing so many different things. Like you have the the graveyard aspect. You have the small creature aspect. You have life gain. You have a potential I win button on turn four. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just too much, man. The best combo decks always have that kind of setup where they're just yeah. punishing you from every conceivable angle. And I think this really does do a nice job of checking these boxes. So I was very low on Marvel when this format first was being talked about. I'm like, yeah, this is an easy enough card to account for. But the more you present just like a fair deck that is also containing this I win button and can like rebuy your Marvels from the graveyard with Emery and do all kinds of nonsensical things. I totally see how this can all come together into what's probably going to be the first band deck. Let's be serious. There's just a direct correlation here too. That is very easy to make. Think about scape shift and how Mm -hmm. that deck was just like all in on, casting scape shift and making like 20 zombies. And then people started playing like legions end, right? The best version of that deck did not even contain scape shift towards the end of the format. You were playing Golos and four feel of the deads. And you were just like playing this mid range game where you made a bunch of zombies. And then you also threatened this end game with Nexus of fate, where you could just like Golos into Nexus of fate over and over again. And even Golos this season, like you didn't have scape shift, but you never wanted it. You just, 
did your rampy thing. You just accumulated some value and eventually buried them. And Marvel's going to do the exact same thing. Right up my alley. Yeah, dude, it's it's perfect. And, and this this stuff was like Michael Majors' heyday, you know? And he is super good at taking pieces of different engines and splicing them together. And I just, I want to work with him on these shells so badly. Rescue him from Wizards of the Coast. Put him to work designing you Pioneer decks. I just want to, I just want to talk to him about it, you know? <laughs> please, please come back, Majors. Give yeah. us some info. Anyway, the last deck I think is tier one is actually Hardened Scales. This is interesting. This is very different from the two decks you previously talked about, but I think I know why you're getting there because Hardened Scales has an incredibly efficient clock. It can go wide very well. It actually is very sticky in a lot of ways. Things like Hanger, Backwalker, picking up a bunch of counters in combination with Winding Constrictor gets out of control very quickly for a fair game. But also I anticipate this deck is going to pick up some primetime disruption yeah. uh, and thought sees as well as abrupt decay or assassin's trophy or whatever piece of two mana removal we have to lean on. Whatever it's going to have takes. all that. Yeah. And I, I like that. I like being proactive and disruptive right off the bat for week one. Yeah. You ha- you have a clock just with steel overseer, hardened scales, winding constrictor, hanger back Walker, walking ballista. You have all the disruption that you noted and the fact that Ballista just gives you free wins against a lot of random stuff, you know, where it's like, oh, they're playing like this white weenie deck or they're playing blue red affinity within soul artifact and stuff. Or you're trying to like copycat combo me. It's just like walking Ballista on three just beats all of that stuff. Yeah, I, I think we need to walk people through that interaction again. It became critical in that two format or the two deck format that you discussed previously, Mardu Vehicles versus Copycat. And eventually, Mardu Vehicles picked up Walking Ballista, even though it doesn't look like the cleanest addition to that deck. But you just play Ballista on two, and they can't combo until they answer that Ballista. It, it just doesn't work. You get to interrupt their Sahili Rai activation. Yeah, so so Sahili has to minus three on Felidar Guardian to blink it. At that point, there is a window where Sahili only has one loyalty. Right. So you can just ping the Sahili or you know bolt it or whatever you have to do to just kill it in that window that can break up their combo. Yeah, and I think this is an important point of interaction because as we move out of this elite tier, these top three decks that you've identified, certainly right below that is Copycat. A lot of people working on this archetype right now. Yeah, I I think that it does weird things to the format just like it always used to. It's like if you pass the turn with a Sahili or Felidar on the battlefield, they have to respect your ability to combo which then forces them to keep mana open and not develop their own game plan, which means that on your next turn as the the copycat player, you can just like, you know, play out a Teferi, play out an Oko, kill their thing. Like you just keep threatening the combo and effectively kill two of their lands for the entirety of the game. And at some point, they're just going to have to start using their removal spells on your planeswalkers, on your tireless trackers, rogue refiners, whatever, And then there will be a clear window for you to actually just combo kill them. And uh, obviously you have things like Teferi too, which, you know, maybe you just get to do easy mode where they, you know, they can't interact with you. I love easy modes. I will tell you this. And obviously this format is going to have a completely different set of rules and context. I want a lot in the copycat format. My trick was I just never respected the combo under any circumstances. If they had it, I was dead to it. I mean, obviously, if like I have removal spell in hand, I'll hold up that removal spell, but I never bluffed. I never like slowed down my game plan in order to try and convince them not to go for it. I 
I just pushed as hard as I can. And that generally led to a much higher win rate than trying to be reactive. I don't know if that's going to track in this format. Things have changed dramatically as far as what cards you can play. Well, in this format, I think those decks are more threatening because of things like Teferi and Oko, where right. you are signing your own death warrant in a sense if you just pass with mana open because mm-hmm. of how far ahead they get when they're just like, all right, you know, Oko make a food or Oko make a 3-3 Teferi bounce your thing, whatever. You basically are pigeonholed into taking that stance where you just have to tap out. And that's why things like Ballista were so good because you got to right. advance your game plan while also putting a thing in play that stopped their combo. But I'm not sure how many of those things actually exist. It's a good question. And we will have to figure that out as we explore this format. Yeah, I mean, there there is there's like Pithing Needle and Sorcerer's Spyglass which we didn't used to have access to. And I think those things are going to be huge. And there's also Thoughtseize too. So it's not as bad as I think I'm probably making it out to be. And that's kind of why copycat is a little bit lower where I don't think it's backup plan is as powerful as Marvel's, but I do think that it is just right below it. Boy, Pithy Needle sure sounds nice against all of these decks we've talked about thus far. Like there's very reasonable names against all of them. Yeah. Kethis, Marvel, Walking Ballista, Sahili. Yeah, it does. It does tag a lot of stuff. I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily recommend main decking it or whatever, but it does. No, no, not going that far. It does. It does go a long way against a lot of these combo decks. Yeah. Keep an eye on that card in this format. Yeah. Next up. These are in not really a particular order. I kind of grouped them by like tier two and tier three. But uh, blue red affinity is a thing that I've seen a lot of people pretty hyped about, just like Bomat Courier, Ginger Brute, Ornithopter, Steel Overseer, Emery in Soul Artifact, kind of like the PT Origins deck. I mean, you were there, you know. Yeah. Oh, I know. I lost playing for top eight to that deck. It was yeah. miserable. I, I lost I lost to Siggy like round four, round five, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people are really high in this deck because it carried over from the Frontier format where it was apparently very good. Not the same format and a little bit less hyped on this deck, but it's explosive. I mean, the power is undeniable for this archetype. And while you don't know the rules of interaction, just staying proactive makes a lot of sense. I am much more interested in this than something like a mid-range deck. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, mid-range, it, it, it calls to me. It, it is always going to call to me. But but there's there's no Tarmogoyf. There's no Liliana the Veil. You have good removal, but like your kind of uh, beefy brick wall is Grim Flare. And I think the key for aggro decks in this format much like it is in modern is just going to be about like the evasion and mm-hmm. the, this, this affinity deck, whatever you want to call it does a good job of that. And ginger brood is actually just like really good. Yeah. I saw it do some work in modern a few weeks ago. Yeah. It, it's a reasonable card for and, sure. And that's another thing is like you have all that glitters as another potential yep. Avenue to take. Yep. Great point. So yeah, you could end up uh, just having in soul and all that glitters and not having the red stuff, but I really like Bomat and Shrapnel Blast is fine. You get some removal out of the sideboard and stuff. Uh, you get to play Copter if you want it, which is pretty absurd too. Powerful magic card. Yeah, Emery gives you a little bit of grindier game plan too. A lot of good artifacts in this format. A lot of really strong artifacts. No ancient grudge floating around to take care of them. Yeah. Uh, Metallic Rebuke is also kind of busted. Yeah. So you also get to play like some main deck disruption if you want it. 
Uh, so nice. Yeah, I think that'll be important early on for sure. Yeah, this is this is probably one of those decks where it's like scales might just be better because of big ballistas and they're kind of doing a lot of the same stuff. Uh, you know, I certainly, you know, Bowmat in the Chain Whirler world or the Ballista world, like, is is not a great place to be. Uh, but blue counter magic is appealing to me, I'll say that. Yeah, uh, you can also splash blue and scales if you want and play Emery there. Yeah, could get away with that. Like you mentioned, Spire of Industry. Spire of Industry, yeah. very important card. Yeah, and also Sultai has two fast lands. Yep. The, the enemy true. color combinations have such good mana because they have pain lands and fast lands. Mm-hmm. Which is another thing where it's like, oh, they clearly did not design standard stuff for this. Because right now in standard, the right. enemy color decks have an extra duel. Right. So yeah, kind of weird. But uh, next up, Delirium, that mid-range stuff. It's It's got good, quote-unquote, good magic cards. Thoughtseize, the Black Green Removal, Grim Flayer, Liliana the Last Hope. You have Traverse the Ovidwald for a bunch of different random targets. Tireless Tracker, Emrakul at, at the end game. And I just think it's really bad. Agreed. These are all good magic cards when there's a lot of busted magic cards floating around and focus on the busted ones. None of those cards you mentioned sound like they are headed to the ban list. Maybe Emrakul is the one that catches my attention, but even that might prove to not be the thing we're actually afraid of here. Yeah. I mean, it, it might just be like, oh, that's that's like a cool late game, but yep. I, I don't think so. I think that card is probably going to have to go because you see a lot of the the control late games and stuff like they, you just can't beat it. And it's, it is inevitable. There is basically nothing you can do about it. People had to play like summary dismissal and standard and stuff. And that's right. not, not what we should be doing. Sure. Uh, next up. I like this deck a lot. I don't know how good it actually is, but green devotion. Love me some Nick I'll tell you that I've worked on these decks a lot, not only when they were around in standard, but also in modern never quite got there in modern but this is maybe the biggest mana we have access to in the entire format. Yeah. Uh, Leyline of Abundance. You have uh, two different Llanowar Elves, Llanowar Elves and Elvish Mystic, uh, Sylvan Karyatid, obviously just a, a plethora of different two mana, mana creatures. You have Once Upon a Time, if you want it to increase that consistency of finding Nykthos, finding your turn one mana dork. Uh, Nissa Who Shakes the World into Hydroid Crisis at the top end. I saw... Ross on versus live untap his Nykthos with Nissa and then also generate an extra mana with it via Leyline because it's a creature. So that's kind of cute. Oh boy. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Yeah, it was something like turn four crisis for 24 or something. Okay, not bad. So yeah, a lot of a lot of fast mana, definitely kind of scary. I don't know if there's a way to do it that you know, you're maybe able to disrupt Kethis or disrupt Marvel. If Marvel is on the, you know, turn six kill you plan, I think this deck can just kill them first. Mm -hmm. But that's also assuming that Marvel is not going to have like any sort of disruption or defense or anything. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting because this deck is obviously very scary. I just don't know how it matches up against the decks that actually just kill you. Would love to find a combo kill for this deck. Nothing springs to mind immediately but maybe some deep dives could find a way to leverage all that mana immediately into the end game. Yeah. Another deck I'm kind of scared of is Red Prowess. And I've seen some blue lists for Treasure Cruise, some red or some green lists for a Tarkus command, a Tarkus command with Soul Scar Mage, Monastery Swiss right. Spear, stuff like that. Yep. All very terrifying. That's a lot of damage very quickly. And these decks were frightening when they were around in standard 
turn four red kills probably always going to be a foundational part of this format i would assume it's just a question of what are the interactive tools and like you mentioned i think like fatal push sounds nice but the other removal spells i'm using to control these creatures not excited about them at all and that definitely puts some feathers into red prowess's cap yeah it's it's weird because a lot of these decks have things that you really want to kill on turn one and unless mm-hmm. you're playing black and maybe red, it. yeah, you don't have a lot of good options for it. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that a lot of these games, uh, you know, maybe they're not over on turn four, but they might be decided as early as turn one where someone gets to do something on turn one and the other player is just like, you know, tap, land, go. We're talking about the need to have bannable cards in all of our decks. Does Red Pr- Prowess pass that test? I don't know because I don't know if you want to do something like ban Eidolon or ban Monastery Swiss Beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to ban Light Up the Stage or even is that card going to be in all these decks? I don't think so. But right. it is it is definitely very scary. I think the real answer is just having more ways to profitably interact with decks like this. I mean, Collective Brutality is, you know, hands down like the best card that you can do in this in this format. But yeah incredibly important card yeah i mean there are things like uh nyx fleece ram seen some uh ration clerics i think a lot of the dragon decks that are playing like silumgar scorn and ojutai should be looking at orator of ojutai like the flying wall of omens where you need a dragon that card might help too so there there are ways to to help but we need more we need some sort of oust sunlands path to exile type of thing right next up Rally, what do you think about this? Have you been looking at decks? I have been looking at decks. I think Rally may prove to be worse. Kethis is my concern right now, but it's a little too early to rule anything out as invalidated as strictly worse than another version of the same type of archetype. Rally certainly has, I don't know if it has a better fair play pattern given the tools that Kethis has picked up with this expansion of its tool set. So I don't know. You'd have to tell me why I went to Rally over Kethis before I get real excited about it. Yeah. Also, I don't have like this huge attachment to Rally like a lot of folks do. And I think that's what's driving a lot of interest towards Rally right now. Yeah. Rally is interesting because you have a lot of overlapping pieces in this format because there are things like Zulaport Cutthroat and Cruel Celebrant, a lot of redundant pieces with sack outlets for three mana and Tuco husk there's like blood barons too i think and mm. then yeah a bunch of random like doom traveler blister not actual doom traveler but like haunted witness blister pod type of stuff so like you can you can basically do whatever you want to do and then there are also all the versions that play like ballista stone coil serpents hangerback walker etc so yeah a lot of different versions of this deck like you said i don't know that I would ever want to play this instead of Kethis because Kethis's power level is still just like you're playing, you know, Jace and Emery and Teferi and Oko. And then Rally's just like, ah, I got a two mana one, one. Here's my Elvish visionary. Yeah. Yeah. So Rally, yeah. Rally made that work back in the day because it was like, well, these creatures can buy a little time, chump block, yeah, gain that's, a little bit that's of That's all about context, though, and the context is totally different in a standard format than a format like this where there's yep. just busted stuff everywhere. Exactly. That's what I'm getting to. It's like those those points of interaction might not be relevant. Right. I agree with you. So, yeah, I think I think Rally is probably a bad Kethis. It is possible that you can make a Rally deck that Goldfish is like a turn faster, but that's about it. 
Okay. Uh, next up, Eldrazi. No Eldrazi Temple. No mm-hmm. Cavern of Souls. Mm-hmm. Very few sources of colorless. Like if you're an enemy colored combination, you have the Painlands. You have yes. the, the deserts like Hashep Oasis. You have unclaimed territory. But you, you don't have your pick of the litter as far as like what sort of mana sources you want to run. So it, it is kind of tough to build these decks. This does not sound great to me. Like, why, why are we doing this? Why, why are we sold on these Eldrazi's? Turn four thought Nazi are not doing it for you? No, that's, that's nothing in this format. That seems meaningless. What about turn three off a of Gilded Goose? Ah, uh, uh, no, no, not, not in comparison to everything else that's going on. We have no access to any of the disruptive spells that I think these other aggressive archetypes are going to be able to hang their hat on. I, I just, I'm not sold. I don't see any reason to explore this right now. All right. I think black Eldrazi is legit. And I think green, maybe blue Eldrazi with Elder Deep Fiend and Oko is legit. That's interesting. That feels that feels not Eldrazi like to me. Like Elder Deep Fiend is kind of a whole different card than well, your typical Eldrazi approach. You're but. still playing Matter Reshaper and Eldrazi Sky Spawner, Reality Smasher. So. Sure, sure. All, all of these cards are Eldrazi, man. I'm naming Eldrazi with my unclaimed territory. I don't know what you want. Okay, I, I'll give it to you then. That is an Eldrazi deck as well. Yeah, not not what you're used to seeing, right? But I do think it is potentially pretty good. Like. You can play things like Stubborn Denial. You can sideboard some additional counter spells. You have a reasonable clock. Thought Not Seer is obviously pretty good disruption. So it's possible it might take a, a ban or two before this is actually good. Stubborn Denial is a card I think maybe I'm not seeing enough appreciation for right now, and I'd love to see more ways to leverage that. So if that's what Eldrazi's role is, okay, you started to get my interest a little bit. God, no no Tarmogoyf, no Death Shadow. Uh, Gurmeg Angler is tough because you don't have fetches. Am I crazy it, for thinking like Tempest Gin matters? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a different deck, obviously. Oh yeah, for sure. You can, I guess, you could do backdoor things where like you crew Heart of Kieran on their turn off your Planeswalker. Okay, yeah, that's that's not bad. Maybe, maybe that's a thing. Huh? But yeah, not a lot of great four power things, or like you know, one mana four power things. Yeah, I, it's a different context. We're not going to get those completely busto creatures anymore, but we can we can work a little bit harder for it and find a way to enable our stubborn denials, I think. Yeah. Uh, next deck I want to talk about is Vehicles. This is probably just what you expect. Smuggler's Copter, Fraven Inspector, Toolcraft Exemplar, Scrap Heap Scrounger. You have uh, Spell Queller, Reflector Mage, Metallic Rebuke, Teferi if you want blue. You have Thoughtseize if you want black. Zakini posited that you no longer need red in the deck because you just have Thoughtseize push. And this is basically a different version of Hardened Scales because you have that disruption, that interaction, and a pretty fast clock. But, I mean, if, if we're just going off of that, then I think it is probably just a worse scales because you don't have the nuts ballista turns. Right. Some resiliency might be the reward here. Vehicles not being vulnerable to, like, Sorcery speed removal might actually matter given how limited the removal is. Also, if there's effective ways to hate on artifacts, which nothing immediately springs to mind, quite frankly, as ways to truly beat up scales for going really hard down that route. Yeah, Red Red has a Braid and K command in like Angrath's Rampage if you want to go that far. But yeah, it's like fine. Yeah. We're not talking like, uh, you know, the classic Stony Silence, Ancient Grudge type setups of modern. No, no, we're, we are not. So, I mean, there are things like by force and Vandal Blast, like you can, 
do things like that out of the sideboard. But like scales is kind of cool because you still have like a scales in a constrictor left over. You know, you're not necessarily right. just relying on all of those things. For sure. And then if you do have the the blue splash, you can play Oko if you want. So you're kind of resilient. I will say Heart of Kieran is a very appealing magic card given the new planeswalkers that are around protecting oh, yeah. Teferi, protecting Oko. Yeah. Even like Nars, all these three mana planeswalkers. You used to have to work really hard for your three mana planeswalker to follow up your Heart of Kieran. Now it's just trivial. Really is, easy to do. It is trivial. I don't know what the best thing I want to do in that shell is. Like I've, I've looked at different Bant setups, but there's not a lot of reason to be white. Uh, Liam was posting on Twitter about how white's thing in pioneer is basically just artifacts because you have all that glitters and toolcraft exemplar and stuff like that. Yeah. And that, that definitely plays, but it's also just like, well, they're way worse at doing it than other colors. So what are we doing? I think white is actually just the gold cards, you know, like I want to play Teferi, Spell Queller, maybe Reflector Mage, maybe Deputy of Detention. And then for right. con- control decks, you have like Azorius Charm, uh, Supreme Verdict. So the gold cards are decent, but everything else is just medium. No meaningful mono white cards. Tough time for white mages. Uh, it's, it's like that in modern too. It's kind of like that in standard. Commander players don't like the white oh, yeah. cards anymore. Yeah. I mean, red, red, I think is still the worst in commander, but tough times for white. Yeah. So we'll, we'll try and figure out what else we do, but I do think it is probably toolcraft exemplar nonsense and that's reasonable, but maybe just a worse version of something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about blue, red Phoenix? Well, we certainly do not have faithless looting. Probably a very good thing. Can we make this work reliably? No free spells, really? I don't know. There's probably something you can do with putting your cards in the graveyard. I'm not 100% sure it actually has to be Phoenix. Maybe there's other payoffs you can get. The enablers, how much do they expand by going outside the standard parameters? They certainly get better. And Secret Keeper is just like a good enabler on its own that has recently been added to these decks, but nothing is really pulling me hard towards dredge right now. I will also say too, rest in pieces in the format. Don't lose sight of that. Yeah. You want to talk dredge or actual Phoenix? Well, what's, what's the difference between the two? I'll, I'll pose that to you. Oh, uh, Phoenix. I just looked at as like, is it Phoenix? Like Jay's thing in the ice. Okay. Arc light. Yeah. Lightning Axe, uh, Thrill of Possibility, Chart of Course, Merchant yeah, this, of the Veil. This if all you want sounds that. like standard to me. <laughs> like nothing really pushing the bounds of power in this deck thus far. No, you are you are 100% correct, which is why I have this at the bottom of tier two. This is kind of what I want to be doing, though. I mean, Jace oh, Friend's Prodigy, yeah. Prodigy with Arclight Phoenix is, is kind of nice. Reliable discard outlet. I will give you that, but... All of this just feels a little clunky, a little slow. Again, maybe like you need some bands, and then this is a reasonable thing to be doing. Yeah, one of the the things with Phoenix was that it didn't really get to play Disruption Main because you needed proactive stuff, you know? So you can't really play Spell Pierce, Disdainful Stroke, or whatever. But it was fine because you could often just like turn four, kill people, or kill them in a way that they couldn't interact with. And I think a lot of that is still true here, but... Your cards are just so much worse. You only have one one mana cantrip effectively in opt. So your your setups are going to be a lot less consistent. And I think I would be happy playing something like Remand 
in this shell, but we just don't have it. You know, we just don't really have a good two mana counterspell. We certainly do not. So where does that leave us as far as going to our graveyard? Dredge, I guess. I mean, there's Merfolk Secret Keeper, like you mentioned. We have Seder Wayfinder, Citrus Supplier, uh, Minister of Inquiries. I mean, like once upon a time to find them. Prize the Melgum seems to be like the big payoff, which isn't that huge. Narcomoeba. Well, yeah, but that just enables Amalgam, right? Sure, sure. So, like, what what are we doing? What are we actually doing? It sounds like we are putting together a pretty ineffectual clock with no means of interacting with our opponent whatsoever. Right, but if we call our deck Dredge, it means that people are going to be scared of it, right? That's true. That is true. We're also doing it in a format with the best Graveyard Hate ever printed Mm. and expecting it to be good enough. So, Mm. Creeping Chill, Scrap Heap Scrounger, those move the needle for you at all? These are real magic cards, but no, no, they mostly don't. It's all about context. It's all about what the rest of the format is doing. In this unfiltered state, this feels very, very underpowered. Now, when things are filtered a little bit, having a persistent army from the graveyard using the cards you mentioned sounds absolutely fine. And it is a deck that would certainly be beyond the pale for standard. It's a deck that benefits from the card pool expanding a lot. We're pulling from a lot of different pieces to make this deck happen right now. But there's, there's, there's better combinations. I'm not doing this yet. It needs some time. Yep. There were old lists that I played with that were all about bringing back like Haunted Dead and Prized Amalgam. And then you use those to emerge like an Elder Deep Fiend. I remember this. Yep. And it was cute. Yeah. You can chain those with Sanctum of Ugin. If you end up playing green, you can play Traverse. This deck is doing a lot of self milling stuff. So you could play Deathrite Shaman as an accelerator in a clock if you wanted to. So, like, you have some routes that you can go down. You can play Smuggler's Copter too. But I, I, do you think it's just like a tad short of actually being good because you need to put all of this stuff in your deck to make the graveyard stuff work. And then you just end right. up very light on interaction. But right. I mean, death rate shaman, citrus supplier, Seder wayfinder that that's like a good core for something. I just don't think you can fill out the rest of it with like thoughts. He's an abrupt decay, you know? Right. I'm curious to see how those cards combine. There's a lot of new friends being made across this format, and it'll be interesting to see how they eventually meld together. I know. And then if we get some artifacts, we can play Emery. Let's do it all. Jam it all together. Yeah, I'm in. All right. That's that's basically the extent of Tier 2. And then the stuff I have listed for Tier 3 are just kind of sweet decks that are doing something I like, whether it's you know has an engine, has good disruption, has a clock but ultimately I think are worse versions of other things. And again, this is not definitive. This is just from thinking about ideas myself and looking at lists that people have sent me. So don't rake me over the coals for this, please. Uh, I'm just going to go through these really quickly. Uh, God Pharaoh's sure. gift with gate to the afterlife. I think there's a lot of cool stuff there. I don't know if it is relatively competitive to what everyone else is doing, but probably need to combo kill if we're doing that. And then maybe you might be able to sell me. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but regardless, it's like the, the the pieces for like Gate to the Afterlife and God Pharaoh's Gift also work well with things like Rally and, you know, Kethis to a little extent. So if you wanted to do like a sideways thing, you could. Makes sense. Bant Company. Company is a good card. There's there's good three mana creatures. There's Spell Queller. Uh, like Knight of Autumn is a very flexible card. I don't know. Oko, I mean- <laughs> Dramoka's Command. 
Jace. Yeah, these these are all good magic cards. It's just what are we going to do with them when they all come together and what is everyone else doing? Yeah. Sounds yeah. fair. Yeah, I agree. Dragons. How you feel about dragons? I wish. I, I wish I got to cast actual counterspell in this format. Maybe I will someday. But again, I, I just can't emphasize enough. Do not show up with something that isn't broken to these first tournaments. That is the only way to do this in these early weeks. That'll change over time. And maybe then Dragons gets to do something. You have to have a legitimately broken game plan. Don't be the people playing the rock at the modern pro tour in Philadelphia when you could literally just kill your opponent on turn two reliably. Ascendancy tokens. If I'm playing Ascendancy, I better just end the game on the spot. I, I don't want to pump up tokens. So you get to play Young Pyromancer and Monastery Mentor and Stoke the Flames. Doesn't this sound cool? Sure. That's cool. That's real cool. But if I'm if I'm going through the hurdles of playing an Ascendancy, I'm just going to win the game with Emery in some fashion. Treasure Cruise? All right, take the tokens part off of it. Emery Ascendancy, what do you think? It's a, at least a combo. I've seen a lot of setups with Emery that have points of interest. I was talking with you about War of Invention, Paradoxical Outcome stuff, Paradox Engine... Seems fine. Seems at least worth exploring. This, though, seems a little bit more inconsistent. I like the tutor effect of War of Invention. There's a lot of zero mana artifacts, if that's what you need to leverage, to eventually get to PO and then just draw your entire deck. All that stuff seems way better than going hard on Ascendancy, which you have no means of reliably finding other than just drawing it. Yeah, dude, I'll opt into it. What do you What do you mean? Not the most efic- efficient cantrips in this format yet. Dig through time. I'll dig through time into it. Okay. Dig through time's a good card. I don't object to that. Um, unfortunately, you're doing this on like turn five because yeah. there is no thought scour. There's no fetch lands. And people need to really keep that in mind when it comes to the delve cards. People are so hyped on these cards right now. And really to a lesser extent, Deathrite Shaman. Those cards are not as good as you think they are. I'm not saying they're bad. They're just not as good as people think they are. You know, when you go turn one to tune with Ether, turn two Jace, turn three something and then an Emery and transform your Jace. You could, you just get to start cast and dig through times. That's just how sure, it works. Sure. If you've had that perfect curve and <laughs> that's all worked out for you, it sounds good to me. Well, whatever. I mean, even if you go like a tune Jace Oko, like that's a fine curve to you. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think, I think the card's good. I think it's totally fine. I, you will see some number of dig through time. I'm less sold on treasure cruise, which has a higher cost in deck building, I think, and doesn't pay you off quite as hard. So, these cards will see some play for sure. They're just not as broken as they previously were. Although saying that, they could very easily end up banned. That wouldn't surprise yes. me whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Next up, Electrostatic Pummeler. Have you seen these lists? No. This sounds cool, though. I mean, at least it's like a different angle than everything else is presented. And it sounds at least somewhat unfair to me. Yeah. They just play a bunch of elves. Or like I saw one with Arboreal Grazer. You have Once Upon a Time to find this thing. Yeah. Blossoming Defense. Teamer Battle cool. Rage, which it didn't cool. have before. You had to like fling people. Right. Like this. What this, turn are we winning on? Are we winning on turn three ever? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Probably not. Turn four. Easy though. Okay. That's something. All right. Elves. Also pretty fast. Probably a bad green devotion. Yep. What, white weenie. Pretty fast. No disruption. Does have access Needs to disruption. Yeah. Does have access to a lot of pump em ups though. I, I just don't think that matters without disruption. Word. Last and possibly least, Turbo Fog. Have you have you gone deep on this yet? 
No, 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 no. Turbo fog is almost inherently a standard solution. You need things to be about combat. You need things to move a little bit slowly. All the things we've talked about thus far do not lead me to believe that turbo fog is the way to go. So you're not trying to wilderness reclamation people. I, I didn't just, say I'm not. Tr- I mean, I didn't say I'm not trying. I'm not winning. That's the difference. Okay. Okay. How much of your bandwidth in the next six months do you think that you're going to devote to turbo fog or wilderness reclamation decks? Uh, hopefully very little. If I am at all interested in winning, I hope it's very little, but you know me, I can't resist the pull of a yeah. good wilderness reclamation. Someone's got to do the work, man. It might as well be you. Just not. Right. I will say I've, I've been resisting it in present standard. Like I've done a good job of staying away from it since we lost Nexus of Fate. So maybe my willpower is better than I'm letting on. Yeah, it might actually be good in standard, though. That's the thing. You were just never about the the brute force explosion, you. Yeah, I'm not trying to be fair whatsoever. Well, that's sort of unfair, you know. I just want all the turns. I'm, I'm not a big okay. sharer. I just want to end the game, take all the turns, wrap it up. Hey, man, you can do that. You can do that. What about part the water veil? Any interest there? <laughs> I almost played that card out of Pro Tour. Uh, no, not really any interest. I, it is an interesting magic card. I'll say that. It does do some things that I think people don't really account for. But now that Nexus of Fate exists, there's not a whole reason to go down that road. Well, you can do both, right? Like you can play. Sure, you could take turns. So lists that I was sketching out were like Opt, Growth Spiral, JVP, right. Corsair of Crewfix, Dig Through Time. And then it's like, okay, you know, play some Wilderness Reclamations, maybe some harder card drawing. Maybe it's Chemistry's Insight. I don't know. And then you play some amount of Nexuses, but like maybe it's just some part the Water Veils and you just try and kill them that way. But uh, you have Literal Fog. Haze of Pollen, which cycles, which is pretty nice. I was like, eh, pieces are kind of there. What set is Oracle in? That card's got to be way older than this format, right? Urban Evolution. Uh, Oracle. <laughs> Urban Evolution's an interesting one. Oracle of Moldiah is OG Zendikar. Okay, I thought so. I started to get excited for a moment, but that's the card I was really missing. Corsair, Crewfix, and Wayward Swordtooth are the best you get. Yeah, that might be the way to go. Again... None of this sounds all that promising. You need some good disruption along the way, and then you somehow need to make this matter and make sure you never miss once you start going off. Yeah. Uh, not sold. Well, I mean, Dig Through Time helps with that a lot, right? Like, you get to play Search, too. Search for Scanta. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard much from Search, but Search should certainly have a a role to play in this format once things settle down a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's really tough to try and play a control game, I think. But mm-hmm. people are certainly going to try. And I mean, we're going to have deck lists pretty soon from the magic online daily events and stuff. So soon. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to look at these first deck lists. I imagine that's what we'll come back with next week. I mean, I, I don't see the hype dying down. I want to look at them. I imagine that's what our listeners want to look at. Let us know if you're in for this. If you want to know more about these deck lists that are coming out, we will listen to what the people want for sure. Yeah. I mean, we could also keep pioneer stuff to the YouTube channel or, you know, do the live stream mm-hmm. stuff. Like we're willing to do whatever people want. Yep. 100%. And we'll have standard results from the PTQ too, which will be kind of exciting to see if there's any movement on, you know, whether or not Simic is number one, something dethrone it, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's feeling like another multiple podcast week next week. I got to tell you. Yep. Yep. Someone, Someone needs to do my busy work so I can focus on making content. Or clone us. That's the other solution we've been brandishing about recently. 
That would work. That would work. Each week on the podcast, we conclude it by soliciting the fine folks in our Discord for questions. We pick our favorite question, and that person will get a very fine Arena Deckless enamel pin in the mail from us at some point. And it's the only place you can get them. And this week's question comes from Mason Clark, who is a person we have selected in the past. Mason asked some very good questions. And Mason says, I'm seeing a lot of hate on play design for this standard. Can y'all please talk about how hard their job is and try and get it across to people just how insane their task is and to not flame these people over it? Well, it's pretty clear what Mason's opinion on the situation is. And I agree with Mason 100%. I, I just think that given the nature of gaming presently, where every single game that is ultra popular, seemingly besides magic, has the ability to make tweaks on the fly, to adjust casting costs, to power up champions, to change on a patch to patch basis, asking magic to never make a mistake. It's like, are you kidding me? If you Have you ever seen videos of League of Legends, like most broken champions? And they're champions that on release could just one-shot everyone in the game or just were <laughs> absolutely unbeatable if played perfectly. And imagine if League of Legends champions could never be changed. They just stay like that forever. And that's the way the game has to evolve. And then you're starting to see the task that magic play design has to accomplish. And... I, I just don't know what you can expect of these people who are a small team of individuals and have a billion competing priorities. Like not only do they have to placate players, but they have to sell magic cards and they have to placate corporate uh, influence and just all kinds of people who are asking for a piece of their attention, a piece of the pie. I think they do a tremendous job. I think that they certainly get things wrong from time to time. I think expecting them not to is utter lunacy. I wish things were set up to give them some more outs. And in my article this week, I talked about additions to the standard card pool and why we don't go down this route. And it's awkward. It's a little weird that there might be cards in standard that you can't buy in standard packs, but that's already true given the brawl cards being legal and buy a box cards being legal. So there's kind of this bizarre sideways precedent to allow random cards into your standard format. So like add field of the dead to the format, as opposed to banning field or excuse me, add field of ruin to the format, as opposed to banning field of the dead. And then maybe things aren't as fraught with anger and tension because each discussion we have about bands and standard feels like we are fighting for the future of the format that we're going to be forced to play for the next two years. And if they had some more knobs to tweak I think they could maybe take some of the vitriol out of the situation. And if those knobs were addition as opposed to subtraction, maybe people wouldn't be as upset about those changes. So I want them to start looking at other ways to adjust the standard format because it's just not realistic to get it right on their first pass. Here's a question. Oko, the way it was printed, do you feel like Anyone who is reasonable could have sat down and played hundreds of hours with this card and then just been like, yep, this is fine. No, no, I don't. Okay. I really don't. 
So, so what does that say to you, Jerry? Like, what what does that say when no reasonable person could sit down and play hundreds of hours with this card? Does that point to something changing at the last minute? Does that point to a need to try and sell the set harder? I think all those things have to be considered when you're like, how does this possibly happen? And does that mean you get a pass for the priorities being out of whack? No, absolutely not. And certainly you can be critical of the decision to print Oko as it's presently printed. And I think that's fine, but you can be critical respectfully and you can be critical acknowledging how difficult this job really is. I think it is an indicator of one of two things. Either one, every single person who works on play design is wildly incompetent or two. We know that's not true. I, I know it's not true. Or two, something changed towards the end of development life cycle to the point where they did not get enough time to test this. Makes sense to me. That is the easiest solution to me. And at that point, it's not like, oh, wow, play design is so stupid. How could they have not seen that this card is busted? It's like, well, they probably didn't get to, right? Like that is Occam's razor. That is the most simple explanation for what is going on. Do things slip through the crack that are busted or like, you know, interactions like Golos in Field of the Dead, like maybe that slipped through too because it was two things with conflicting goals, right? Like Golos was trying to be developed for like a commander thing and Field of the Dead was trying to be developed for a scapeshift thing. And at some point those things should have gotten tried together, right? Mm-hmm. And they didn't. Yeah. That, that's a thing where it's like, oh, they just missed it. I don't think that they just didn't put Oko in their decks. And I don't think that they played a bunch of games with it and thought that it was completely fine. So there is an outside force at work here that means that it is not play design's fault. It was not their call. That is my guess. And for people to for people to be like, oh, you are responsible. Like play design is responsible for every single card that goes out the door. That's not true. They they do their work. They give their input, and then higher ups make that call. That makes perfect sense to me because like you said, these are a bunch of very smart people, very good magic cards, or excuse me, very good magic players. Yes, very good magic cards. This this is certainly a very good magic card. Uh, They want nothing more than to make the best standard possible. And it doesn't take a lot of time with Oko to realize that there's some problems here. And this is a very, very silly magic card. And things like not being able to answer it cleanly are weird decisions and it just points to a lot of moving pieces and now we have to live with oko for a while and it's not great i kind of wish oko was weaker but this is the world we live in there's still plenty of interesting games of magic to be played maybe there's other solutions down the road like i said i i love the idea of trying to address things that are out of line with additions i don't know what the addition is here though that's the other part of the problem because this card is so good that it's almost impossible to just answer it and be satisfied with that. Can you think of like a great answer off the top of your head to Oko that you could add to standard? I I think a lot of it has to do with play patterns. Like if there was a way to kill Gilded Goose on turn one for a lot of decks where it's like, okay, then you don't have to be facing down an Oko on turn two. Lightning Bolt. Do you like Lightning Bolt? Yeah. Love Lightning Bolt. Great. Yeah. I kind of do too. I mean, Red already has Shock and maybe some other stuff. So maybe that's not the color that needs it, you know? But I think if there were a, a pithing needle, that would kind of be okay. And we do have Sorcerer Spyglass, but when we're talking about a card 
that dramatically alters the game state on potentially turn two, spending your turn two to just answer it is not the ideal situation. Right. So I would like to see a cheaper answer potentially, not necessarily something like, you know, duress exists, but like doesn't hit a lot of the stuff in the Simic deck. So that's kind of the problem. I don't necessarily want Thoughtseize, but that would kind of be a cleanish answer. And mm. a, a lot of it is just like how punishing the things are that come after it. So like you play an Oko, I play a Grizzly Bear, you animate your food and play like a Wicked Wolf or something and eat my thing. And then I play a thing, you play a Nissa and hit me with like another haste creature, and then you top off Good with games. the Hydroid Crisis. Like all of these cards just spiral, right? So yes. that that's kind of the problem for me. And a lot of it is like, oh, well, maybe I could take that initiative back on turn three or turn four, but Wicked Wolf is uh, pretty good at just ensuring that that doesn't happen. It's it's not about these cards needing like, oh, clean one-for-one answer. Like if Fry killed Oko, I don't even think that would solve anything because the rest of their no. deck is just green cards. Yeah, I agree with you. I, Fry is not the way you were solving this problem. There's There's not much to solve this problem. None of these things you're proposing really sounds like the way to mitigate the Oko problem. Oko's a unique exception to my you can answer everything with additions theory you can make things better with additions though you can always try and make things better and at least shake things up to the point where the format is no longer ococentric and i don't know if that means you have to add five cards or ten cards but there are options i think available that don't rely on invalidating people's purchases because i think that's where a lot of the anger does come from when we're dealing with bands and standard and if you were to remove that from the equation maybe we could have some more civil more productive conversations around it other than play design is stupid they're not stupid they're so far from stupid they just have a really hard job yeah there there is a much bigger lesson here about like when you encounter a thing and you're just like well the easy answer for this is clearly that, you know, that person was stupid or whatever. I see this happen a lot when, you know, you're playing a match of magic against someone and they're like, oh God, look at this horrible thing that my opponent did. And then they do something next turn that you should have known was going to happen based on the thing that they did because it was like a dead giveaway. But instead of taking the information they gave you and just being like, oh, what does this mean? Because I don't think my opponent is stupid. There is a reason for this, right? Like your opponent is a human being who made a decision. There was a reason they made that decision. But instead of trying to actually get inside their opponent's head and figure out what it means, they just default to, wow, that person's really dumb. And it's, it's not helpful. And this, this is even about like critiquing play design or whatever, but just like you're, you're here in the moment And rather than focusing on what is going on in the game, you're talking about how dumb your opponent is. That's not going to help you win the game. And that's not going to help you have a good deck list for standard this week. For sure. And if you think you can identify your opponent's intellect via one play they have made, I've got some bad news for you. It's not always that cut and dry, says the person who often does really dumb things on a given turn of magic. Right. So I, I think people would be better served to trying to understand why things are the way they are rather than just immediately critiquing them without having all of the context. Great point. Right there with you. Uh, Magic has a famous lesson from John Finkel that is focus on what matters. And that's like, you know, playing a game and you're, you know, at two life, but 
your hand is full of counter spells and you're going to win next turn, but you're like, you know, being scared about losing because you're at such low life. It's like, well, that's just not going to happen. Right. Or you're like concerned about your library size when you're attacking them for lethal the next turn. It's not relevant. So why do you care? I turn them as useful behaviors with all aspects of my life. I try and look for useful behaviors. Exactly. So a lot of this stuff, not, not very useful. And that's why we don't have band discussion in our discord too. It's just, it's not useful. Figure out what is going on right now in front of you in reality and just focus on that stuff because that will actually affect your win rate and, you know, whether you're able to put out a good article this weekend, good piece of content or how knowledgeable you are instead of just like, like talking about why things should be banned or whatever is basically just like staring at the wall. It's about as useful as that. Right there with you. This can be the turning point. This is when we move forward. The bands are behind us now. The entire magic community can use this as a rallying cry and we all can focus on useful behaviors for the rest of the standard format. Do you think this is it, Jerry? Did we just change the magical world? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oko Oko is stupid, right? But it doesn't (laughs) benefit you to think about how dumb it is, play games with and against it, figure out how to beat it. The end. Doom foretold. There you go. Boom. It's not that hard, people. It's, It's really not. That's game. Good luck.